keep your friends close and your drinks closer. Hello, friends. You're listening to Grappalicious, a professional wrestling podcast. I am the doctor, the co-host of Grappalicious here, and with me, uh, the other half that makes the show whole has returned. He is the glorious. He is the triumphant. He is the T-Hawk to my L. Lindemann. He is DJM. Greetings and salutations, humanoids. This is Grappalicious. It's a wrestling podcast where we talk about the graps. So let's just jump right in. Indeed, we have a whole lot to cover. It feels like it's been forever since we've been together, since we've done an episode Too long. Too long. Too long. We're going to go ahead and jump in. But before we do, just want to say, everybody, follow us on Twitter at Grappalicious. If you want to keep up with all the pod happenings, you know, when we do call-outs for questions, when we drop shows, uh, all of the above, uh, please follow us on Twitter to keep abreast of the action. And with that, here come the headlines. Now the headlines. At the top of our headline docket here is looking... Uh, it's a little bit frown.jpg, DJM, mm, I have to say. Indeed. Um, so, Jushin Thunder Liger, you may have heard of him. He is who some people call the greatest junior heavyweight of all time. But if you just want to say screw weight classes, he's one of the best wrestlers ever from anywhere. Has, a- after the New Japan anniversary show that was on March the 6th, The next day at a press conference, he said that he was hanging up his wrestling boots, hanging up the Liger mask and ring gear for good. He is going to retire at next year's Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, The Tokyo Dome in January will be his final show. And between now and then, he's going to be touring all over the world so that all of his international fans can get one last look at... uh, at the the true legend that is Jushin Thunder Liger. An incredible career. An incredible performer. Uh, it's, it's a little bit bittersweet, uh, but the fact that he's going on a global farewell tour uh, for fans everywhere to see him one last time is really, really great. Uh, it, Jushin Liger's influence on the professional wrestling world in any weight class, as you said, Doc, uh, cannot be understated as a junior heavyweight wrestler, just as a professional wrestler in general, as someone who was a character, a a performer, a guy who was not afraid of comedy. Oh, man, was Liger not afraid of comedy. (laughs) Uh, Just his, his influence is... Is unfathomable. Uh, you could go back to his matches with Brian Pillman on the early days of WCW Monday Nitro, uh, to the fact that he invented the Shooting Star Press, to 
the fact that he was a junior heavyweight who challenged for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship way back when to when he showed that even a wrestling character based on a cartoon could be in blood feuds if necessary to the fact that he survived a brain tumor fully recovered and still had an illustrious career multi-time junior heavyweight champion and junior heavy tag team champions to say that he's the best junior heavyweight of all time doesn't do it justice his his records speak for itself his his resume speaks for itself he is he is in the pantheon of all-time greats in professional wrestling and bittersweet but at the same time it is great to see a guy of this caliber he's about to get a hell of a send-off doc he's going to get an unreal send-off no question about it i mean at the end of the last episode of of grapplicious you know the, this this news really recolors uh that last bit of the last podcast because i was uh lamenting a little bit that I would not get to see Scotty Davis take on Will Ospreay. Uh, Ospreay had to uh, had a conflict uh, between New Japan and OTT, and he's a New Japan guy, so he's got to go that way. And so New Japan uh, booked Jushin Thunder Liger as his uh, replacement. They sent Liger over there, and you know now that that to- seems totally different. That it recolors. That entirely. I mean, I was already, I wasn't like down on them. I thought, you know, this is still going to be a good match. And Scotty's very young. He's not even 20 yet. He'll relish this experience. But now as like part of uh, the man's kind of last run through Europe, where he's incredibly popular, like everywhere, uh, it's going to be phenomenal. I mean, it's even more reason to look forward to Scrapper Mania next weekend um, to see Liger in action against one of the like the hot up and coming Irish prospects. You know, so there's an interesting uh tidbit that if you look on the New Japan website, uh it will show Jushin Thunder Liger's debut as 1988, but in fact that's not exactly true. That's when uh and I don't even know the man's the man's actual name, but that is when he debuted the Jushin Thunder Liger character. He has been actually wrestling since 1984. So the year of my birth. Oh, we were born in the <laughs> same year. Wrestling. We're born in the same year. Yeah. Hey. All right. 84. <laughs> That's, uh, as long as I've been alive, the man has been wrestling. So bittersweet is exactly right. At Impassionate K, our friend Congressman Corey, not actually a congressman, uh, asks us on Twitter, uh, best Liger matches. Um, I, I'm sure you've got uh, a plenty of them uh, in your back pocket. Uh, I the, the, I know for me the first one that springs to mind is just immediately no hesitation WCW Super Brawl two, uh, 1992. One of my friends had a tape of it and I saw it pretty soon after it aired. I would have been uh, eight years old and. It was Liger versus Brian Pillman, and holy shit, I mean, mm. both of those guys jumped off the screen. I mean, the next, I feel like the next match was, uh, like, uh, 
someone versus Marcus Alexander Bagwell, and I was just like, no, no, get this guy's boring. <laughs> Bring get Liger back on TV. <laughs> Come on, uh, that you know, I haven't even gone back and watched it since I watched it when I was a kid. But like the memories of it are just. I mean, I don't remember a lot from when I was eight years old that vividly, but I remember Jushin Thunder Liger and Brian Pillman in that match pretty vividly, and it was uh, it was a thing of beauty, man. For me, Doc, uh, I'm going to go back to 1996, and I just mentioned this match. Uh, it is a match between Liger and the Great Muta in 1996. Uh, the build-up to this feud was Muta being just utterly dastardly and evil and in the end it caused liker to transform from his normal superhero self to what was eventually known as kishin liker uh, he had a different kind of bodysuit uh, face paint and he turned into this wild dangerous bloody brawler after muda had been beating him up repeatedly and the match eventually led to Liger transforming into this deadly beast. And it was a really fun, bloody, violent brawl. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and watch yeah. that. That sounds incredible. Wow. And so so uh, Keiji Muda was wrestling as Muda and not Keiji Muda? He was wrestling as Muda, yes. Okay. Wow. Wow. That sounds fantastic. I... I would assume that that stuff is on NJPW World, but... Um. I actually remember last seeing that match many, many moons ago on the YouTubes. Okay. Uh, it might still be there. I, I'm not sure. Uh, but it may very well be in the archives, the, the deep archives of NJPW World. Again, this is from 1996. It might be tough to find. But if you do, it was it was really fun. He he's only transformed into Kishin Liger three times in his career because it is his evil alter ego. It is his dark self. But when it happens, it's really cool. It's uh, some Batosai the Manslayer. Yes, <laughs> like coming out. It was the demon before the demon. That sounds fascinating. I I really do want to go back and check that stuff out. Thank you, Corey uh, at Impassionate K for. For that question and definitely i would say check those matches out and i mean the man has had so many classics and i feel like woefully kind of undereducated on so much of his career there's so much i don't know about and i think it will be worth everyone's while to do like a, a deep dive into these archives and you've got Koji Kanemoto, you've got Ultimo Dragon, you've got uh, his matches with Rey Mysterio and WCW. Mm. It's it's endless. It really is endless. Very cool. Um, so we're gonna go from the the bittersweet to uh, I think the just bitter here. King Kong Bundy has unfortunately passed away. Bundy was a wrestler who I also remember pretty vividly, but the memories aren't are nearly as sort of uh, stratospheric and and jubilant as uh, the Jushin Liger ones. But Bundy was uh, someone who, in in my childhood uh, wrestling viewing, he was kind of there for a little while and then gone. I understand that he had his most kind of biggest run, his glory run in 
the like early WrestleMania years uh, in the eighties before I was uh, old enough to be watching and cognizant of what wrestling was. But when he came back pre attitude era during the new generation time, I think WWF, that was their slogan at the time. uh, He came back uh, to join the million dollar corporation for a brief time. And I remember him. I remember He's very memorable uh, as a wrestler. His look is was fantastic. He has a great ring name, like an all-time great ring name. And uh, I remember hating the shit out of him because he was a great heel and just beat the crap out of people, played his role to perfection. And yeah, rest in peace, King Kong Bundy. Uh, King Kong Bundy was, for all intents and purposes, during the peak era of Hulkamania, Maybe the second most formidable formidable challenger to Hulk Hogan after Andre the Giant. He he was up there in that upper echelon of challengers to Hulkamania during the time. Uh, that's probably what he was best known for. He was in that upper echelon. He he was part of the Heenan family. He uh, took on Hulkamania, and he, he was a staple of that era of the World Wrestling Federation, as Doc said. Uh, for that era, he's pretty significant. Uh, for uh, later in his career, like Doc said, it kind of winded down just how the industry was changing, but his significance for one of the biggest eras in wrestling history is undeniable, uh, and and he was a big man. He was a, a scary big man, and it, it it was awesome to see. It was awesome, and those memories will last forever because of how significant they were. And we he will definitely be missed. I I would not be surprised if there is a tribute for him. Oh yeah, I mean the Fed is gonna pull out all the stops for you know and, and make some really fantastic uh, video doc for him i would not be surprised if that goes up on the network quite soon i mean it could be there now for all i know but i don't have a subscription so yep king kong bundy uh was uh a significant is a significant part of wrestling history uh he will be missed god i just (laughs) i just remember like (laughs) i mean it's just in there it's so it's it's etched into the brain i can when i think about king kong bundy i just think about one of those locker room vignettes. Yeah. And he and the million dollar man just laughing <laughs> into the camera like evil bastards. That, that was, oh, he was the, the World Wrestling Federation for over 50 years. The worldwide <laughs> leader in sports yeah, entertainment. A, a revolutionary force. That's right. right. Oh, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. Old wrestling's great. But new wrestling also great. We got, uh, as usual, some signings to... Uh, to report on here got a couple for impact and a couple for all elite wrestling impact has managed to ink uh moose to a new deal and also uh scoop up madison rain now the madison rain story was really interesting doc did, did you did you see or or hear the the conjecture the scuttlebutt if you will, as to what happened with Madison Rain deciding between Impact and Ring of Honor. Did, did you catch this? So I, my understanding that it was a big creative differences, but I don't know the specifics. Please enlighten me. Now, again, conjecture, conjecture, story, story. It's, it's all just what they're saying on the internet. 
this is just DJM and Doc talking here. Uh, yeah. What it was is that the plan was tentatively for Ring of Honor to bring in the beautiful people, and they would go on a run in Ring of Honor. Interesting. That, that was Madison Rain's idea that she had pitched to ROH. And ROH, by all accounts, was receptive to the idea. However, they wanted to involve uh, some of the women from ROH. If I remember correctly from the story, it was specifically Kelly Klein. That's correct. And yes, I'm looking at it Madison Rain was not really down for that. She turned down that idea. And just some creative differences between what would happen with the beautiful people in ROH and it seemed like they really couldn't ter- come to terms. And Madison Rain has gone back to Impact, which I think w- is where she garnered most of ho- her notoriety uh, in Impact. I personally see her as an Impact lady more than anywhere else. So in some ways, this might be her home promotion. So it makes sense to me. And, and I wish her well. If the beautiful people come back, that might be a lot of fun. Knockouts. Greater than sign, women of honor. Yeah. That's all I'm that, saying. That That's not news. <laughs> it's, that is not news. Uh, you did probably didn't hear that here first. Um, so, Moose. How's Moose's 2019, DJM? Have Have you looked in on, on what he's up to? Moose's 2019 has been all right. He's, he's still doing his thing in Impact. Uh, Impact, as everyone knows, is, that's watching at least, Impact is good. Right now, uh, it's just a little hard to get to uh, unless you're on Twitch or if you're one of the 17 people that does have the network that they're on on cable. But it's still pretty okay. Uh, I think Moose is a good staple for Impact Wrestling for their heavyweights, their heavyweight division. I feel like he is bound to be a long-term champion. It seems like Impact signs maybe one or two year contracts for guys it seems like but if given that moose went from ring of honor early on to impact it feels like that's where he's going to stay for the foreseeable future and i would not be surprised if they build around him because that that seems like a good place for him in general i hope you know as they do that that he that he grows into the role because in the match that we reviewed uh, or sorry, the show we reviewed for the second episode of this podcast. While I was underwhelmed at times, I also saw potential. So yeah, uh, I hope that I wish him all the success on his new deal. Uh, all Elite has managed to uh, ink B. Is it? It is B, yes. right? Not Bay. <laughs> okay, uh, it shows you what I know. I haven't seen the young lady actually wrestle, but B Priestley, famously Will Ospreay's uh, girlfriend. Uh, and a man that I know is near and dear to your heart, DJM, Michael Nakazawa. Yes, Michael Nakazawa. Uh, he is uh, a staple of DDT over the years. Uh, he he was the translator slash assistant to the Golden Lovers in DDT. Uh, when Kenny Omega wasn't around, uh, Michael Nakazawa was the, the second in command uh, in terms of being on Kota Ibushi duty, uh, watching over Kota. Uh, also, just a fantastically charismatic, bilingual Japanese wrestler who hopefully won't have anything put in his rear in All Elite <laughs> Wrestling. 
because this man has suffered so much. <laughs> he suffered so much. I, I imagine Kenny Omega wanted to sign him to All Elite Wrestling, probably for some comedy stuff. Maybe he'll bring back the oil th- that that the he would the, the, that he would pour <laughs> all over himself. Maybe he'll bring that back. I'm happy for Michael Nakazawa. I'm extremely happy for him. I imagine he'll probably go back to Japan now and then. But if this is a a long term deal for him, then that's great. He's he's been grinding for a while, so I'm I'm very happy for Michael Nakazawa. My understanding is that. Uh... He is signed as much um, for backstage stuff as he is for in ring. I think you know he is a wrestling talent there, but he'll also be, you know, possibly translating or or managing, agenting. It sounds like in the Japan equivalent, where Japanese promotions have a a gaijin agent that works mm. between the office and and the foreign talent. It sounds like mm-hmm. this will be the case for Michael Nakazawa. Uh, who is bilingual, he speaks fluent Japanese and English, and he, he'll likely be that liaison for Japanese talent, more than likely. Yeah, the Rocky Romero equivalent. Yep. Um, but in, And he's been sort of showing up less on DDT, at least. So since I've been following, which is, you know, fairly recently, like the last eight months or so, uh, he's he's been on very few shows, like only a big show now and then. But I think, you know, that's fine. He's probably winding things down and will like kind of refocus uh, on uh, on the kind of role that you outlined uh, in, in large part in his AEW duties. Speaking of AEW, uh, one Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer, Figure Four Online, uh, had this to say on his radio program, quote, AEW had a TV meeting yesterday, so that went really well. I heard. There's still no deal signed, but I mean, I think everyone knows there's going to be a very legit deal because there's two of them, that is, two TV companies bidding for their services, on the table. Two deals. Uh, It's real money, and it's real stations. It'll be, this is the kicker here, the best non-WWE deal that any show has had since WCW. Has anyone had a better deal since WCW? It's better than Spike. That is a lot. <laughs> that's a lot that's put out there. Is it, though? What do you make of this? Is it really? Is it really a thing? Like, better than what Impact did with Spike. That that's Is that really saying a lot in the grand scheme of things? I imagine that it will probably be closer to a WCW deal with Turner and Time Warner than it would be Impact and Spike, but I I will have to wait and see. I just hope that, please, for the love of God, whatever TV deal they do, please do not go on Mondays. Please don't do that. Please don't <laughs> that do that. That would be not good. Yeah, that would be not good. Um, Got to pick whenever SmackDown is not. I don't even know what uh, day of the week SmackDown will be on in future. They're saying Fridays. Okay, so back to Fridays. Yes. Good. Good. Great. Uh, go Tuesday, AEW. And uh, Doc, if I may. Yes. Wednesday. Okay. Because there's no major mainstream program on Wednesdays. Okay. And I, I feel like wrestling is at, is at its best when there's a break 
when there's a little bit of a break between the major shows. So you've got Raw on Monday, if you watch that, All Elite on Wednesday, and SmackDown on Friday. So you've got time to breathe between these shows. Because, good Lord, just... (laughs) So much content. There's, there's just a lot of content and people, pe- I need to breathe. I need to breathe. Well, no one's forcing you to watch. No one's forcing you to watch five hours of the Fed every week. No, no. Oh, I and I don't. would advise against it. Oh, and good. I don't. Good. Just Great. That is, I, you're probably happier and healthier for that. I just think that it would be best in the long run if... All Elite Wrestling with whatever TV deal they get, they are not on a day that is the same night as one of WWE shows. And and I strongly and firmly believe that we don't need another wrestling war. We we just don't. We just don't. <laughs> we don't. Also, can we like can we please uh get on a station that's like a partner with I don't know, Hulu or or some other streaming service they already have? Because I'm going to be selfish here and say, like, I don't, I don't want to subscribe to another streaming service to watch this, and I don't want to pay like fucking ridiculous fight TV prices to get these weekly shows. Uh, I would, I would love to just watch watch this on Hulu and make it be frictionless uh, and easy, and and I'm already paying for it. That would be ideal. And it's incredibly selfish of me to say this, but this is how I feel. But not entirely unjustified, Doc. Not at all. Uh, I am someone that if it's wrestling that I want to enjoy, I will watch it on its air date as it airs live. But I understand that we live in an on-demand a la carte world. So I think what you're saying, getting it on Hulu or, or another streaming service that is used en masse is... It absolutely makes sense, and something tells me that Cody Rhodes and and Tony Khan and everyone at All Elite Wrestling probably understands that, and that's probably part of why a concrete television deal has not yet been announced. There, I, I imagine they're probably looking for something that is absolutely right, rather than just jumping on any TV deal that is thrown at them. I hope so. I hope so. That would just be, that would be tremendous. And I mean, I don't have cable. So if they were on, you know, TNT, I don't know if, if they, if Turner has an app or is part of some other kind of integrated app that will let me watch live. Cause I don't have like sling or some, some sort of equivalent. So I, I would be looking to pick this up on demand only. I think that would be the only way I could watch it. And we all know that All Elite uh, has to cater to me. Absolutely. Just well, they, ha- they have a fan. YouTube channel. They have a YouTube channel. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if, they're, they're clearly aware of the internet. They're clearly aware. It's true. They, they are smart people. So you know who uh, is not smart when it comes to the internet? Terry Brunk. Yes. Sabu. Uh, you I... know what, Doc? <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> Next story. <laughs> okay, fuck Sabu. Fuck Sabu. Sabu. Next story. <laughs> Sabu is banned from Twitter. Fuck you. Move on. Shitty. He said shitty things. Uh, okay. It's tournament time. Tournament time. 
you you may or may not be able to hear me rubbing my hands together with glee. I, you know what, Doc? I, I heard it, and I got to tell you, I want this just as much as you do. Oh, my God. Like, tournaments? I'm, oh, my God. I'm so fucking excited. Like, it's tournament season in professional wrestling again. I, tournaments are the best thing for for me. I mean, I know a lot of people prefer the kind of one-off big super card. Um, and that's amazing. Like, it's fantastic. Uh, your Wrestle Kingdoms, your Madison Square Garden super cards, your Dominions, uh, your Judgments. Great. Me, I love a tournament. And my two of my favorite Japanese wrestling promotions are... One of them is in the midst of a tournament, and the other will start one next month. We've got the New Japan Cup, newly expanded to 32 uh, participants. Single elimination tournament. Winner goes into the main event at the G1 Supercard from Madison Square Garden at WrestleMania weekend. And we have, speaking of WrestleMania weekend, that will be the weekend that is the kickoff weekend for... The superior event, in my opinion, the All Japan Champion Carnival. That is their G1, if you're unfamiliar with the Champion Carnival. It is a round-robin, uh, two-block tournament. And uh, at the end of the road, after everyone in each block has faced everyone else in each block, the points are totaled up, and the two-point leaders uh, face each other. And the winner receives a Triple Crown Heavyweight Championship title shot the following month. And both of these look incredibly tasty. I want to dive into each one. uh, And I want to ask, are you looking forward to these as much as I am? Yes, I am. Uh, It's it's a lot of wrestling. Uh, It's just wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. Just matches, matches, matches. Matches, matches, matches. And more matches. If you like a night at the matches, you're you're gonna be down for this. Period. <laughs> I, I was having this discussion with my friend, and you know what? This would be an interesting question to ask you. So, uh, a really good buddy of mine, who actually was the person that turned me on to New Japan Pro Wrestling, is kind of struggling to get into watching Japanese promotions because he's kind of been trained his whole life. To, he watches wrestling once a week on Monday. And that's it. Yeah. And you have this format where, as you said, it's like every new day there's wrestling. And like since I fell out of love with the Fed uh, a few years ago, uh, before, during, and after that period, I had fallen in love with binge watching. Ah. And this kind of there's new wrestling every single morning, like caters to me, the binge watcher. Uh, and I love it. So is this a way that you like consuming your wrestling? I used to be this way, past tense, uh, when uh, in, a, in a previous era, uh, which we'll talk about later today with, with the show we're reviewing, Doc. Okay. Uh, nowadays, in 2019, uh, I've watched so much wrestling over the course of my life. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of, uh, I'd almost say numb to a lot of it. So uh, until I hear the internet really buzzing about a match, th- that's when 
my attention percolates. Uh, with the exception of Taguchi being in the in this New Japan Cup, <laughs> that, yes. that's the exception okay. because okay. he, he will. Right, be, I skipped over that. Sorry about that. He will be my sentimental favorite. And are you aware of why? Because he is going to do everything in his power to be the 69th IWGP heavyweight champion. That's right. <laughs> Despite being a junior. Although really, a big junior. He's professional wrestling's Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> <laughs> he totally is. That's a fantastic. Uh, uh, and, and I'm hoping yeah. for it. Uh, but otherwise, uh, unless there is a match that is just absolutely blowing up on the internet i cannot binge watch anymore i used to i I used to be able to just say give me all the wrestling and stick it to my veins Mm -hmm. uh but that was many many moons ago Uh, now i'm just looking for if there is a five six seven star match out there that's when I'll that's when I'll check it out. Unless there's like a story and a feud with something that really draws me in, uh, I might catch what Evil is doing in the tournament uh and I'm rooting for Taguchi. Uh as we sit and record this uh on the eve of March the 9th, in a number of hours Evil is scheduled to wrestle Zack Sabre Jr. in this tournament and that is uh that is just tasty. Man who won last year's New Japan Cup. Exactly. Yeah, he's he's the the current holder. So, and those two have had like a kind of rivalry going since like September of last year. And it's been really great. They've done a couple tags here leading into this that have been really really fun. And I'm expecting great things from that match. And that's not even the on tomorrow's show, the main event is going to be Tetsuya Naito versus Kota Ibushi. Uh, that's a first round match that you wouldn't expect to see. That one could be tremendous. Now that that's all well and good. That's all well and good. But you're you're burying the lead here. That there are two <laughs> matches that, that aren't that may not necessarily be main events, but uh, later on in the tournament we've got Toji Makabe versus mm-hmm. Colt Cabana. Boom boom. <laughs> that that's gonna be gold. And on top of that. Toru Yano, uh, as some might call him, the true ace of New Japan, versus Davy Boy Smith Jr. Oh now, man! <laughs> if the stars align and New Japan Pro Wrestling gives us Colt Cabana, Colt Cabana versus Toru Yano, then then we we have our match of the year, people. Comedy that, that, match of the year. That's gonna be no. It'll be our match of the year. Period. 2019's <laughs> match of the year. That would be an incredible match. I would greatly look forward to that. Um, I will say, and you know, I mean, I'm a DDT fan, so I love the comedy. Um, however, I was listening to a podcaster you may or may not know, WH Park from uh, Post Wrestling, and he was talking New Japan Cup, and it's uh, his opinion that so, and I'm unfamiliar with the history of the cup, but uh, apparently, like every year, they kind of seek to build some new talent through this. They let someone go on a run who isn't your kind of traditional star. And you made the reference earlier, Zack Sabre Jr. Absolutely surprised everyone, shocked the world, and uh, beat the likes of Ibushi, Naito, and Tanahashi to uh, win the cup last year. And uh, Park 
uh, thinks that Davy Boy Smith Jr. could be in line for. They do, he doesn't think necessarily that he's going to win, but that he could go quite far and could be someone that New Japan is looking to elevate at this point. Is there anyone in the field, him or anyone else, that you look at and you think, here's someone who could really go on a run that's not one of the top guys? Just on this list of competitors, my first instinct is to say Sonata. Okay. That's, that's my first instinct. Uh, mm-hmm. They always try and kind of protect Sonata a little bit, and it seems like he's bubbling just under the surface. And I feel like that, that time is going to come to where uh, the rocket is already strapped to Sonata. It's just a matter of when they light the torch. And it might be this New Japan Cup. I definitely see why you would say Davy Boy Smith Jr. I definitely understand that. But I feel like New Japan, uh, Gato probably understands that Kokobana versus Toru Yano is a match <laughs> people want to see. Yeah. And Yano might beat Davy Boy Smith Jr. And I feel like Sonata might be that guy in that position to, to get the, the big run in this tournament. I'm going to say Sonata. From your lips to God's ear, man. I've been... I've been waiting for them to push Sonata since I started following it. I just was always kind of, from the first time I, I saw the guy's entrance and his matches, I was really struck by him. My personal choice would be evil. That that would be my personal choice. But I can, but also my personal choice for a lot of things from New Japan does is Hiroki Goto. So I'm always on the outside with everything. So what do I know? Well, Okay, I have a lot to say about all these things. Essentially, I'm saying I think it's Sonata. I think it'll be okay. Sonata. They took the the world tag titles off of them recently. Uh, Honor Rising, uh, Evil and Sonata dropped them to the Gorillas of Destiny, and so the Gorillas are not in this tournament. Evil and Sonata are. Uh, the conventional wisdom was that the whole reason you have them drop the tag belts is so you give them singles pushes. Yeah, I I hope it is. Like, so I'm worried. Like, <laughs> two of the people that you mentioned, uh, Goto and Sonata, face each other in the first round. So one of them has got to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this is a tough one because I feel like neither guy can afford uh, an early loss right here. I've I've given up on Goto, honestly. I've given up. <laughs> poor poor Goto fans. I I really like Goto. Why 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 have they not uh given him the top prize? I I wish I knew. Him? I wish I knew. As a Goto fan, I wish I knew. I truly do. He's fantastic and I think he does have a lot of fans. I don't I don't understand that. Again, Goto's in my match of the year last year uh, against Tomohiro Ishii, who... So as we record this, uh, about half of the first round has been completed. And speaking of Ishii, you know, he, in my opinion, he had the match of the first round. I don't know if you uh, have managed to catch any of this yet, DJM, but his, I would say, out of everything I've seen thus far, and I've seen... Uh, I, I think the only the only match I haven't seen so far is Okada Elgin. I would say uh, Yuji Nagata versus Tomohiro Ishii is definitely worth a watch if you enjoy the kind of old school strong style. The ageless Yuji Nagata. Yeah, this they look they dusted him off <laughs> once a year. They're like, look, 
Yuji, we need you. <laughs> Let's and do this. <laughs> he'll still bring it. He still b- yeah. brings it. They have these old guys that could do it. Liker did that at the uh, anniversary show with his uh, match against Taiji Ishimori. That was a great match. Mm-hmm. I really, really enjoyed that match. And, you know, Jushin Thunder Liger can't do everything that he did against Brian Pillman in the early 90s, but he can still have a great match with Ishimori. Same for Yuji Nagata. I mean, he's not, uh, he doesn't look like the guy that was wrestling, you know, Ultimo Dragon and Rey Mysterio. And he Dave wasn't. Lico. He wasn't the guy carrying New Japan on his back the best he could when Inoki nearly killed it. But he's he's still very very good. Yeah, he was awesome. There's a, a fantastic image of uh, in that in that match when um, he has uh, hit the inside of his mouth, whether it's his lip or the side of his mouth. His tongue has been cut open. And so he's, you see his teeth are bloody. You see kind of blood running over his lips and he's got that Nagata lock on Ishii and his eyes roll back in his head as the blood kind of runs over his mouth. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so mm-hmm. awesome. <laughs> oh man, that was a great match. Uh, I watched that with our friend, uh, the doctor at SSA pod on Twitter. And we both uh, came away very, very satisfied. So check that out. Uh, if you had to pick, if you had to pick a winner, or a, or a final or anything like that. What's your gut feeling on on who who goes to New York here? I feel like the winner, uh, New Japan, with a match like this, will probably take the safe route, and it will be Kazuchika Okada. And in the finals, I believe he will probably beat Sonata in the finals. I'd love to see that final. That would be tremendous. That would be like you—you you would get the worst odds for that. Like you'd have to bet a lot of money to win money. That'd be the favorite. I think that's the the, out, the favorite outcome. The number one but, seed. Yeah, I, I think Okada's the number one seed. It's an outcome that I don't that I don't necessarily, as a fan, wish to happen. And you may be doing a double take out there because Okada is my favorite current wrestler. So why don't I want him to win the cup and wrestle for the title? Uh, it's because I think, and I mentioned this on last week's podcast, but I, I will be succinct here and just say that I think the Jay White versus Kazuchika Okada feud has more juice in it. Uh, there's more money to be made with it, but I think having another match uh, risks overexposing the feud. And I know that, like, you know, Kenny Omega has said, like, that his the plan for him, Gato's plan for him, was to keep the belt until Madison Square Garden, where he would drop the belt to Okada. And so people think Jay White is just a find replace for Kenny Omega. And this exact same thing will happen that was going to happen anyway. It's just Jay White will be playing the role of Kenny Omega. But man, I, I just think if you do that just to stick to the plan, you you burn what could be like another really anticipated match at Wrestle Kingdom or at King of Pro Wrestling. Like if you give Okada and Jay White some more high profile wins and you kind of build up that like uh suspension of disbelief that well either guy could win. Because if Okada goes to the garden to face Jay White, I think it feels like Okada's gotta win that match. That Okada can't lose to him again so soon. That Okada uh, can't walk out of Madison Square Garden a loser in the main event. Or maybe Okada could lose. 
You think some? I mean, you think they're gonna have him lose to Jay three times and in, in in eight months, uh, twice for the like? It just seems like a lot. Could be through underhanded tactics from the Bullet Club. Oh man, but that would suck if that was the that's, for the main event what, for Madison Square Garden. That's what Bullet Club does. <laughs> well, that's, that is true. That's what Bullet that Club does. They're returning to normal. They're they're using the scumbag tactics again. So it's true. And to be fair to Jay White, specifically in his uh, in his match with Okada at Kingdom and the the match where he beat Tanahashi at New Beginning, you know, you had Gato interfering, but at no point did that kind of influence the outcome of the match. Like Gato would hop on the apron, and Okada or Tana would beat him down, and then you know you'd have like ten more, fifteen more minutes of match. So it wasn't like uh, you know, that they held the rope back and prevented someone from reaching the rope and they had to tap out. It wasn't like a, a, a sort of A to B to C causal relationship to to the victory, uh, the cheating. So at, at least that's going on. And I, I would like that to continue to, even though, I mean, Jay White's character is a chicken shit cheating heel. I mean, I think for the credibility of the title, you got to... what. Why not get the heat, brother, brother? <laughs> no, but you got it for the credibility of the title. You got to have him win by his own merits, partially, at least most of the time. But so, but do you think, do you really think that in it, their first, their big Madison Square Garden show, they could fuck the fans over in the main event that way and not, not have a clean finish? I wouldn't rule it out. Man. Granted, they could have. Okada or even Hiroshi Tanahashi be the conquering hero and close a New Japan Pro Wrestling show in Madison Square Garden with Tanahashi or Okada speaking to the global fans and and doing the whole celebrate New Japan Pro Wrestling thing. They could do that, but I feel like that would almost be too simple and a little too... Wrestling 101, send the crowd home happy. And and just personally, I'm always looking for that little wrinkle to keep people drawn in. And and maybe it would be with a little bit of Bullet Club shenanigans. Who knows? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think they necessarily have to have to send the crowd home happy either. Now that you put it that way, I think the the type of fan that's going to come to this show is a fan of this company and is a fan of great matches and a fan of those stories. And they're not going to be mad that, you know, the baby face loses in the end. They'll, they'll be happy that they've seen a night full of good. Are you sure? (laughs) Are you sure doc? Are you sure? What I, what I would actually like to see happen. So when I fill out my bracket, I had Tanahashi winning, but, um, I, I could be, I could see that. That I'd be happier with that or Ibushi, um, and I think you could have Jay White go over someone like Kota Ibushi at Madison Square Garden, and I think that could be a like a a worthy main event for the Garden and and put on a great match and put both guys over. I mean, people love Ibushi, and Ibushi would help Jay White wrestle the kind of match that people uh, are are more kind of accustomed to see for for this title. You know, uh, the twenty thirty minute athletic you know, kind of match. Right. So that, that's what I would, that's what I'd like to see. Um, I would, 
and you know, if Okada goes in and wins the title, you know, I'm a big Okada fan, but like at the same time, again, I would, I would feel dissatisfied at the way that it has gone. But look, Gato is a smart man. Gato can, can take my disappointment and turn it into me putting more money down on the table uh, because he's, he's magic that way. And I feel like I would be really uh, amused if they end that show with, with heat. I'd be really amused. I'd be really, really <laughs> amused. But uh, tell me a little bit about Champions Carnival. Doc, all right. tell, me, tell me about Champions Carnival. Let's shift gears. Let's, let's talk about All Japan and the Champion Carnival 2019. This tournament has actually been going on for, I think, a year or two longer than the G1. So it is incredibly storied and steeped in tradition. And here are our combatants. I think this happens, I think, in most of these round-robin tournaments where you have one block looking a lot stronger than the other. And this year, the A block looks particularly strong, whereas the B block has a little bit of uh, has a little bit of the chaff. Uh, a block, you have uh, Yuma Aoyagi, one half of the now former Asia All Asia Tag Team Champions. They have forfeited the titles. Uh, he and his partner Nomura Naoya. They want to focus on singles, and so they have forfeited the titles now. But uh, yeah, you got Aoyagi here in A block. You have Shuji Ishikawa. You have Dylan James. Wikipedia has Kingo Mashimo, but Kingo Mashimo, I believe, has been injured. And I don't think he'll be able to participate. So the alternate for if anyone got hurt leading up to this was uh, your friend and mine, DJM, Junakiyama. Hey, sternness, dust alpha. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, the Exploder Suplex Machine. Um, I was really bummed that he wasn't in the tournament to begin with. Triple Crown Champion Kingo, uh, Kingo. Kento Miyahara. Yuji Okabayashi. Uh, Ryoji Sai. Uh, Gianni Valletta. Meh, thumbs down. Uh, and Zeus, rounding out the A block. There's so many good matchups here in this A block. Uh, Kento Miyahara versus Zeus 3. Like, so excited for that one. Uh, Shuji Ishikawa versus anybody. Junakiyama versus anybody. Like, Aoyagi is probably going to take a bunch of losses, uh, but he's going to wrestle good matches in these losses. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's looking really great. B Block. B Block is, as I said, less strong. You've got um, uh, a couple of, well, actually several outsiders here. Sam Adonis. Uh, Joe Doring. Joe Doring strong. Strong favorite in this block, I think. Daichi Hashimoto, who people are not as high on as they used to be. Jake Lee, who I am not as high on as I used to be. Uh, Nomura Naoya. Joel Redman, who was... I th- what was his name? He's an NXT. He's, he's a European wrestler from NXT. I think TJ Oliver, maybe, was the NXT tag champ. Um, Oliver Gray. Thank you, TJ Oliver. Oliver Gray, thank you. Gasuwama, a favorite of yours. Takashi Yoshida a.k.a. Cyber Kong uh, from Dragon Gate, I believe. Yes. And Yoshitatsu. So those are those are your blocks. Uh, thoughts? Yoshitatsu's still getting booked. <laughs> good for him. How dare you? <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, good for him. Good for him. <laughs> he has, he's become a nice tag team wrestler. 
and and that is okay. Yeah, a that nice okay. tag team wrestler. That's the ceiling for him. But yeah, no, still booked. Still in this, we still get to see eight Yoshitashi singles matches. <laughs> Like I said, B block, not as good and as A block. Suwama, my ace of New Japan, of, of my era. Uh, the, he's my ace. He's still hanging in there. I'm happy to see that. Uh, yes, you're right. The A block does look pretty strong. Uh, I will say what I'm hoping is that Suwama has a match that people tell me that I need to check out. That's what I'm hoping for from this. Joe Doring versus Suwama. Is good, that should be oh, that's some, fantastic. That is some, well, I don't want to say old school or classic, but that is like mid to late 2000s all Japan, and, I, and I'm, just, I'm just right there for it. All we need is a cameo from the Voodoo Murders, and I'm there. <laughs> that's, that's some beef. That's just a lot of beef there. That, that is what they um, call big lads wrestling. That's right. That's right. That is a straight up hoss fight. I'll tell you to check out. Suama's Kento Miyahara match from uh, late February. That was a, a... They fucking burned it down. That match was incredible. All right. Um, All right. I guess if I had to, like, absolutely had to pick uh, a final here, here is maybe something that I don't want to happen, but I think I could see happening. I could see Jake Lee winning the B block and... Man, I'm just not enthused about that at all. Like, we we could do a whole episode on my Jake Lee fandom turning sour, mm. uh, because God, I was really high on this guy. I thought he was going to be the kind of generational rival to Miyahara. He used to be in his stable, uh, but now is leading his own stable, uh, Sweeper, and it just hasn't clicked. No, mm. it's part his fault. Uh, his kind of lack of fire in the ring, his lack of charisma, his lack of compelling offense, especially in singles matches. And it's partly the way they've been booking him. They've been having him lose a lot of tag team matches. When I tune into All Japan, I feel like, I mean, he's most of the time he's not taking the pinfall, but his stable just keeps losing these tag matches. I'm like, well, why am I supposed to care about this guy? So, yeah, he has not been doing it for me, but if they're going to push him... uh. They need to do it, and a way for them to do it would be to have him win this kind of weaker B block here and face someone like Shuji Ishikawa or Zeus. Um, in fact, Zeus and Jake Lee have a little bit of uh, heat between them. They've been getting into it before and after matches in their six- and eight-man tags. You know, they could they could do that for storyline's sake. But, um, but I think I'm less concerned about, like, who wins this and just I just want to see all these matches <laughs> like I mean I just so many good matches are going to come from this I, I will admit just just because I I'm old uh, I would love to see both Junakiyama and Suwama go like on those big surprising runs that you you occasionally see uh, in tournaments like these where you have the veteran wrestler will go on a run that nobody sees coming so I'm hoping that's either Akiyama or Suwama, just just for the fact that I'm old. <laughs> and, yeah, and I relate, dude. I mean, that would be that'd be fantastic. I would uh, love either of those things happening, and I'm curious to see what the the kind of newer outsiders do. Like, people are pretty skeptical about uh, Redman and Adonis. 
you know, it's partly some disappointment from, you know, you had people like Marafuji and Shingo Takagi in it last year and, and they're nowhere to be seen this year. Um, and instead you got, you know, Adonis, uh, Redman, Daichi Hashimoto, uh, just, I think some people that folks aren't as high on, but I hope, I hope they surprise us. I, I think that, I think that we can wrap up with both of these shows, both of these tournaments with one simple question, Doc. No, neither of these companies booking Daisuke Sekimoto. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? No, you're not am I wrong? wrong. All Japan is booking him, uh, but as a tag champ. Well, that's be- yeah. that's better than nothing. Strong BJ has than- the the uh, triple crown tag team titles at least, so they are. I you know I wouldn't be surprised if on uh, the night of the final uh, they defend the belts as part of that uh, big uh, blow off show. That's better than nothing. I'll take it. They they at least have him in a position where he deserves to be. So that's absolutely that's better than nothing. Well, that's all for our that's all for our headlines. Our our tournament prediction preview deep dive. We hung out in Japan we for did. quite a little bit there. We did. Let's fly back across the Pacific and uh, come back to America. Let's come back, DJM, for some Ring of Honor. Show review. Yes. Can you set the stage for us all here for, for what we're reviewing? Now, we're, we're coming back to Ring of Honor, where we're going across the Pacific, but also we're heading in the Wayback Machine, and we're heading back to Ring of Honor in 2005, Subtle Doctor. And we will be watching the Ring of Honor final battle from 2005. Now, you're probably asking, why are we watching a show from 2005? Well... It's my pick, and as a lot of people know, the mid to late mid to late two thousands era of the independent scene is really my wheelhouse. A lot of people you see in prominent positions during that time in wrestling are in very very high positions now, and I wanted to give Doc and in the Grappleicious fans out there. Just a, a little bit of insight into maybe one show from this era of like 2004 to say 2009. And I think that this particular card had a good mix of what Ring of Honor was at the time when Ring of Honor was still the big indie, but still an indie back when being on the indies wasn't quite what it is today. You know, you were still. It, it, it was a little bit better than a hot dog and a handshake, but n- not much better. Not much better. Oh, it was such a good. But, but you saw fantastic wrestlers, uh, very very young, very athletic, and very very hungry. And just, I feel like this show really just showed Ring of Honor. Dare I say, when it was at its most fun, uh, to to be the. Uh, to be the guy who was a fan of the band when their first album came out before they became really, really big, that that's kind of where I am with a lot of the indies now. Uh, I'm not saying it's better then or better now. I'm just saying, hey, here was their first album. If you haven't checked it out, let's give it a look. So we're diving into 
Ring of Honor Final Battle 2005. And at the end of the last episode I was on for Grappalicious, I made sure that Doc checked out the main event of this card. Now, Doc, tell me what you thought when you saw this main event. I was hard to form words when I saw both of these, this this double main event here uh, on paper. I mean, it just seemed like it's just a dream, you know, people throw around, people throw around the, the phrase dream match. And this is the kind of match that you'd never see in a million years today. Um, both of these, but my goodness, uh, I, I was incredibly excited. My expectations went through the roof. I, I could not wait to watch it. All right. So th- this was, uh, how familiar were you with say the, the, earlier days of ROH during this era, say the Joe versus Punk era all the way up to, say, the El Generico Kevin Owens era of Ring of Honor. How familiar were you with this time period? I would say I had a passing familiarity. Uh, So I was in college through the early part of this run that you mentioned. Like I would, uh, through the Torrents, uh, get a hold of like the best of CM Punk volumes one and two uh, that were basically just ROH stuff and watch that and be floored at all the great matches. And those DVDs were great about including storyline stuff. So I felt like I was intimately familiar with like his feud with Raven uh, in ROH. Yes. I thought it was like as a person who'd only seen the Fed up to that point, really. I was blown away by what the stuff they were doing storytelling wise. And then uh, at the very like 2012, which I guess is about the, the end or even past the end of the era that you're talking about. I, uh, when I first moved to Nashville and was kind of getting back into wrestling, I uh, at the apartment we were then living at, I was able to watch ring of honor uh, on cable there and so I would see like Kevin Steen with their with their belt. Uh, the House of Truth was doing stuff. Nigel McGinnis was still there in a like a managerial type role. So I know a lot of names, uh, faces, but I would say like the major storylines, feuds, the big biggest matches of the large part of the era, I'm unfamiliar with. All right, now Doc, uh, just in the opening contest, I know there is a name that you were familiar with. But I don't know how much of his work you've seen him. That's Milano Collection AT. Uh, he took on a true gem in ROH history, uh, the crown jewel of the embassy, Jimmy Rave, uh, accompanied by the legendary Prince Nana. Now, I don't know, again, how much of how much of Milano you've seen, but how'd you feel about seeing young Milano collection AT in this match? And, and I have to ask, give me your perception of Jimmy Rave and Prince Nana. I have to ask. Okay. Wow. So first of all, Milano collection AT hailed announced as being from San Antonio. You know, he actually did have an extended stay in the United States, so maybe he was living there. That's fair. That's entirely fair, but... Or or maybe that was just his summer home when he wasn't in Milan. It's like uh, Chris Jericho from Florida, (laughs) right? 
Um, but uh, I I was into Milano. I was rooting for him. Um, you know, he didn't he didn't blow me away. I did like Jimmy Rave a lot. Uh, I was I he's someone whose name again I'd heard of, but I never really seen anything he's done, or I have no memory of it anyway. And uh, this is a nice little match. Um, I, I like Jimmy Rave. Prince Nana. I was not really sure what to make of Prince Nana. Especially, like, he kept popping up at different points in the show. He manages a bunch of guys. And uh, he was in a a promo segment at the end that I had, like, just kind of struck me as weird. So, like, I think I, I kind of got used to Prince Nana as the show went along. But I really just wasn't really sure, like... Like, I couldn't make heads or tails of Prince Nana, DJ. <laughs> That's okay. That's <laughs> perfectly okay. Uh, we'll talk about Julia Smokes later, too. So this whole thing, like, opening this video, this may seem like a weird analogy to some people, but this this was like... It was almost like a time when you, like, accidentally rent anime from Blockbuster. Yes, yes. Like, you pop in a Ninja Scroll or Wrath of the Ninja or, uh, I don't know, Akira that you picked out thinking, it's a cartoon. I know what to expect when I see cartoons. Like, I know kind of the beats. I know the arcs. I know what I'm in for. And you just get this whole, this presentation that, like, it is that, but it's so not that. And that's what I felt like Ring of Honor in this time. It's so different than the Ring of Honor I know now. It's so different than the the polished World Wrestling Federation at the time. Like, it really felt... It felt a bit dangerous. Like, it felt like, yeah, you've just rented a film your parents wouldn't let you watch. And it felt like anything could happen at this show. And it made me want to watch more of this stuff. Like, I loved the ambiance i love the atmosphere that i love that dangerous feeling it was that feeling of you were during this time uh even though this was like maybe right after cm punk had signed but during this was during the era of ring of honor where you you still felt that rebellion against the evil empire of the wwe you were going to a ring of honor show because you were rebelling against WWE for wrestling that didn't fit their norm or fit their standards. That's what Ring of Honor represented. That's what the American Dragon Brian Danielson represented. And all of that, it just had that rebellious feel, kind of like the old ECW, just in a different mm-hmm. way. And it, it totally as someone who is in those crowds for, for some of these shows that were in Detroit or Chicago, you're you're pretty much spot on where it felt rebellious and you felt like you were a part of something. And it really was a lot of fun. And you knew you weren't just getting a night at the matches. You knew that you were almost always going to leave with something really, really awesome. Everything like Everything you just said, I feel like the embodiment all that of all that is homicide. Like, just 
I was blown away by this guy. I don't know if you want to go in order up and down the card, but um, I, I would, I would want to ask you just a few things that maybe stood out to you. Okay, um, I right. did want to ask you. Uh, I don't know how familiar you, familiar you are with the Ring of Honor Pure Championship, because we saw Nigel McGuinness take on uh, Claudio Castagnoli, uh, now known as Cesaro, for the Pure Championship with this hair, a, uh, with all yes, that hair. Yes, Claudio with hair. Uh, and this was, this was a cult, this was a pretty good feud for a while. And uh, the Pure Wrestling Championship. How do you feel about that? And and this match in particular, watching these two, Nigel and Claudio, were like the rules that were in place, like to lay it out for people that haven't seen the show. Like they had these sort of rules that if Nigel McGinnis or even Claudio. Um, broke the rules they had extra referees to help spot the cheating then they would uh they would lose a rope break um is that something is that just pure title rules or was that for for this feud in particular this was for this feud in particular because nigel as the pure champion was using all sorts of chicanery and shenanigans to keep his title and skirt through the rules of the pure championship title uh, okay. And Claudio was chasing him. So, like, so is this someone who's really not familiar with it? Is this just sort of like the X Division, but for guys who grapple? Uh, yes. Okay. It was kind of a quasi world of sport mm. in a way, mm-hmm. uh, because there were rope breaks allowed. There was a twenty count on the floor. Uh, there were. There were rules about closed fists. That would be an immediate disqualification. Uh, that was pretty strict. It, it was definitely a, a grapple fuck championship, <laughs> but I I enjoyed it because because I loved watching Nigel and Claudio do that stuff. That match was really good. I was really impressed by both of those guys. I've never seen Nigel McGuinness wrestle a match. Really? Really, really. I'd only seen him do manager stuff. Oh, wow. I got to show you some of his stuff with Brian then, or or his (laughs) whole ROH title reign. Oh, man. Oh, he was their top guy, huh? That's awesome. That's cool. No, he was great here. I I loved this match a lot. And again, when when they introduced, like, they had to explain the rules, like, a lot. And I was like, oh, boy, this is going to be some gimmicky shit. But it ended up being really good. I dug this a lot. Yeah, and and it was just it, it was just some really good pro wrestling. Yeah, as, as it as some like it. Uh, but for something completely different, uh, another manager because we we don't see many managers anymore on this no. show. Uh, the legendary Julius Smokes. Who was the manager of the Havana Pitbulls and the Rottweilers? Uh, one of them, including Ricky Reyes. How would you feel about Julius Smokes, Doc? I I liked Julius Smokes. I think I, I liked him in his role. I thought he did well. Yeah. I thought he did well. I uh, just he got yelled at by Ricky Reyes a lot. <laughs> That's the main takeaway I remember from that. And then Austin Aries making them both look uh, very small. <laughs> Let's let's jump into our double main event, uh, where I'll just say c- completely biased. Oh, wait. Oh, there's a couple things I want. Oh, before sure. Before we get to mention that, uh, sure. No, I I did want to just. Um, well, first, I I have not laughed 
so hard in a long time unexpectedly here at a wrestling match when Samoa Joe yelled, I'm rich bitch in Jay Lethal's face and then clotheslined him. <laughs> that killed me. Because uh, I, so I understand that like at the time Jay was upset at, at Samoa Joe for selling out or something like that. Yes. And, uh, and Joe just rubbed it in his face. And, uh, and that was great. It was really cool to see young Jay Lethal. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm used to seeing uh, not as young Jay Lethal. But, um, but that was cool. And again, I just... Homicide, dude. Homicide was just a magnetic. Like, he didn't even wrestle. Yeah. He just came out and, and talked. And this is part of that, like, danger feeling. I was like, I did not know. I, it felt so raw and real. Like, oh, I did I, not know what he was going to do. I wish you would have seen his feud with Colt Cabana then. I, yeah, he was so mad at Colt Cabana. And um, uh, uh, Can, was it Candido that he was mad at in that interview? Uh, he spiked the <laughs> I don't know how Colt didn't fall over when, uh, what did Homicide say? Like, you know, you think I'm playing like this is a shoot. I will kill you. <laughs> Just spike the mic off of him. Uh, I, I just was like, that dude, I want to watch more of that dude. He seems yeah. awesome. <laughs> I was super into him. Uh, I need, Please like, give me a match guide or something for Homicide. Oh, I man, for Homicide, there's the feud with Cole Cabana. He had a really good, short but good run as Ring of Honor World Champion. Um, he, he was a tag team with Loki for a while. Uh, oh, my part God. Of, <laughs> It's a lot of aggression. One match in particular, it is uh, Homicide and Low-Key versus Samoa Joe and Jay Lethal. That, that is a match to seek out. It, it is money. Uh, and just really any of his stuff teaming with Low-Key and, and any of his feud with Cole Cabana and Jimmy Rave as well. Uh, last question before the main events. Did uh, Sal Renaro do something to Roderick Strong? Like, did he have sex with Roderick Strong's wife or something? Because... No, Roderick Strong back in those days was just a mean dude. He, he would just beat dudes up. <laughs> he just beat the poor kid to death. Yeah, he, he oh, would gosh. do that. He would do that. Woo. That just looked brutal. But it, at least at the end, he hugged him. <laughs> just said he's a tough SOB. Uh, and and I was like, well, I guess he doesn't completely hate him, but uh, yeah, he tore that dude's chest up. Back then, Roddy was was the chop guy. Okay, okay. These main events, uh, DJM. These were incredible. The first main event, uh, and, and my God, I've already said Brian Danielson versus Naomichi Marafuji for the Ring of Honor oh. World Championship. Oh, if if you want like. Everything that is pro wrestling for me, it is these two guys. And you, I don't remember if it was on this video or not, but you got to see Brian Danielson's full entrance as the American Dragon with the final countdown, and yep. just ah, oh, that 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 was me right there. That that is that is DJM's wrestling fandom right there. <laughs> Yeah, that that ruled. The entrances to these ma- matches were amazing. I didn't know Marafuji wore a mask. 
He did sometimes, sometimes, because he's he's always been a guy that kind of changes his gear, changes his look, changes his moveset. He's he's constantly changing things. Mm. So he he would do that every now and then. Yes, there's there's so much to love about this. Like, I mean, it was really hard hitting. It was worked in incredibly high level. Everything was so crisp. It was loaded with memorable spots. I mean, the the slap war from the Tree of Woe was like fucking epic. Just peak my shit right there. <laughs> that had me out of my chair. I, and I, both guys, like sometimes when you have a match with, with a top Japanese guy coming over, especially today when I think Japanese wrestling is widely kind of known and revered, like when they come into another company, the matches are always really good, but you always kind of feel like, the crowd and the other guy like feel a little bit like inferior, like, Oh, this, this God is here among us. And like, but both these guys like Danielson and Marafuji, they both are walking around like bad motherfuckers. <laughs> like yeah, they yeah. are, they both feel like they're the best and it really translated the match. I, I don't need to say anymore. Uh, anyone listening to this, that, that knows me, that knows Brian Danielson, my favorite wrestler maybe ever, uh, and Naomichi Marafuji, not that far behind. Before we move on, I just wanted to like just talk through the finish. Yeah. Because the finish to this match ruled. Like I loved that both of these matches finished differently because I think it would be really easy to book them the same where you have a like just these slugfests and like one like finally proves uh, their dominance over the other. But, like, the finish to this match, the flash pin finish, like, it was so brilliant because it just showed that they're so even. That, like, only, it was only by a hair's breadth that Brian was able to win. And, like, it could have so easily gone the other way. And it was such a, like, a stroke of chance. Like, they almost double KO'd each other, right, from Marafuji's mm. finisher. Mm. And then they go into this amazing sequence where, like, Marafuji gets his thrust kick blocked. Uh, Danielson does a German suplex. Marafuji backflips out of it. Uh, Brian's lariat caught and it's spun into a backslide. Like Marafuji flips and turn his turns his backslide into a sunset roll up, and it gets reversed out of nowhere by Brian for the win. Like it all happens so quickly, man. It was so good. Like I I love that stuff. I I love that you can come out of this and go like, I honestly still don't know who the best is. And it was really well done. Just just really well put together by Gabe and Brian and Marafuji. Just really, really well done. The other main event. Yes. For the GHC Junior Heavyweight Championship, where we saw the World Warrior low-key taking on the one, the only, Kenta. This is my first Kenta match I've ever seen. <laughs> Wait, what? Yep, this is my first Kenta match. Wow. Well, I, at least you got a good one. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen any of his NXT stuff. Most people you know, people tell me I'm not missing anything. And, Nothing from Noah. Uh, well, I haven't gone back and, and seen it. I mean, when he was you know, doing his stuff, I really wasn't into, into Kuro. So, uh, yeah, I haven't okay. seen his Noah run. Okay. Um, obviously, it's something I know I need to seek out. 
It's just like with with TV shows, you know. I just have a backlog of stuff right. that I, I got to get understood. But uh, but this match fucking ruled. Uh, before we get into the match, I just want to say that Loki is currently the Major League Wrestling Champion, and so when I watch MLW, you know, I, I like I saw him like on a show last week. Dude looks exactly the same as he did in two thousand five. What is he drinking? Like he looks. He has not aged a day. He's drinking the f- the fighting spirit of the warriors of yore. Totally. Of the I past. Mean, 14 years. The man looks like, it's seriously, just go go look at MLW's YouTube channel. He looks the fucking same. It's crazy. A- and Kenta, like, it's just, it's it's hard for me to even put into words how big Kenta was at this time. For American wrestling fans who were into what Ring of Honor was doing and that hard-hitting, hyper-athletic junior heavyweight style, it is hard to put into words how big Kenta was. He was just, to say internet darling would not do it justice. (laughs) The fans really seemed high on, on both these guys. Today, Like in a show like this, of course... All the fans would be internet fans, and they read everything, and they'd know who Kenta was. Like, you know, fifteen years ago, I wasn't expecting necessarily this thing to be true, but but they that crowd was rabid for Kenta and Loki, a staple of ROH, a uh, very early Ring of Honor World Champion, uh, an ROH legend, an ROH icon, and a Noah, a semi full time competitor at this point. Mm. Uh, this this was this was all you could ask for, and just ah. Uh, just I, I felt that adrenaline uh, in watching this match. I felt the adrenaline. I felt the hits like oh, I used to, and just and, and I hate being like the wrestling nostalgia guy. Th- this was <laughs> this was right up my alley. This this was what I craved at the time. This was my wrestling fandom right here. A lot of matches you will hear. People say, oh, they beat, you know, they beat each other up. They beat seven shades of shit out of each other. Like, this match is like the platonic ideal of those other, all those other matches are participating less fully in the, in the form, the platonic form that is this Kenta versus Loki match. Because they just destroyed each other, dude. They just kicked the ever-loving fuck out of each other. And it was unbelievable. It was so... Like, as a fan of that strong style, like, this was so good. And, like, I mean, I tweeted right after I watched this match, first Kenta match, and I get it. I get it. Like, this dude is incredible. You you understand why so many of us are so let down by his NXT run. Oh, my gosh. I I can't even imagine. I've heard nothing but disappointment and and let down and bad things from, from the NXT stuff. Um, But maybe he'll be healthier and happier back home uh, doing stuff. And whether it's Noah or New Japan, um, you know, he's probably I don't know if he'll do anything that's as good as this. You know, he's not a a spring chicken anymore. I mean, this is just it's what to even say, because like a lot of times, you know, like I'll talk about like uh, the Yuji Nagata versus Tomohiro Ishii match, right? And it's two older guys beating the crap out of each other. And and that is the match, and it's great, and I love it. 
and that is the match here, but also there's so much more to this match. Like, it's still wrestled really well. There's still a lot of cool, like, athletic moves. It's worked crisply again. There's really innovative stuff here, like from Loki too, the way he uses the double stomp a few times. Like, I was like, wow, I can't believe you used it that way. That was incredible. I've never seen that before. Yeah, this match really had, had it had so much, and it had something for for everyone, I think. Like, if you were into any of the kind of, like, trendy stuff that was going on, I think, back then, you'd be like, okay, this match is great. I'm I'm really glad you enjoyed it. I, I really, really am. Uh, because th- this era of Ring of Honor is the cornerstone of my wrestling fandom. Uh, if not for Ring of Honor uh, at this time, I would have been done, completely done with wrestling. Hmm. And you'll you see Samoa Joe, Austin Aries, Christopher Daniels, Brian Danielson, all of these guys, Nigel McGuinness, Claudio Castagnoli, these guys that I hold so dear uh, at this point in their careers where they were just giving everything they had. And like I, I love what this represented, and and I'm glad I'm glad you enjoyed it, and I'm glad you got a kick out of it. Man, you don't need the nostalgia. Like I, I, there's stuff that I'm not getting out of it because you lived through it, but I think I'm like breathing walking proof that like you honestly don't need the nostalgia to go back and appreciate. The, I think most this whole show, pretty much, but especially these two main events. I mean, it's just. Just pure distilled like goodness. It's so much of like what makes wrestling good in, in all these different ways is uh is in these matches. And the crowd like lends so much to it. Like I was surprised, and maybe the chant wasn't in vogue, but I thought that this last match needed a fight forever chant. I was like, where's <laughs> where's the fight forever? Like that it's That started in NXT, quite frankly. Uh-huh. Okay. Well it did get a match of the year chant, which I'd never heard before. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> 2005 was a crazy year for wrestling. That that was the same year we got the the three-way match between Samoa Joe, AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels and and that was like the match of the decade. So, yeah. Was that an ROH or Oh, that was uh at the the TNA Unbreakable show. That was the okay. TNA Unbreakable pay-per-view. Uh that that is genuinely my favorite wrestling match ever. Uh if wow. if you ever if you want to take a look at it, that that to me is just Th- that is the greatest wrestling match I've ever watched. And Kenta and Loki is right up there, too. Man, it's better than this, huh? I don't know. These these are so good. Uh, but so did you have... Uh, you know, it's funny, because I remember certain guys like Joe and um, Loki from TNA. Uh, but I don't remember the art. Did, did you have them kind of going back and forth? Was it true indie and no no kind of permanent contract sort of deal at, at the time uh, some of the guys like joe and daniels uh, it was a working agreement more or less because tna had their television deal but they were more like um a place for their wrestlers and top 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 indie guys mm-hmm. uh, because at this was right around the time where they were some in sort of a bidding war with WWE. 
Uh, and Joe, even in one of these shows around this time, he did like an opening promo, uh, like an opening segment by himself, talking about how Punk went one way, I went the other. And even also, Brian Danielson was like, I, I wanted to stay here. I'm the Ring of Honor World Champion, and I want to stay here. And it, it was a bidding war. But hmm. TNA was much more open to working with Ring of Honor at the time. Okay. I never saw Danielson work for TNA, so like no, I didn't even no, know who no. he was until he was in the Fed. Because he was a developmental guy before TNA even existed. Hmm. Brian Danielson's first developmental contract was in like 2000, 2001. Okay, wow. Wow. That long ago, huh? Well, listen. Uh, this was an amazing pick. Uh, I got two thumbs all the way up, as as up as as they can go. This is uh, this is probably the best thing we've watched so far. I think, um, uh, yeah, without without uh, question, in my opinion. Awesome. I I am glad you enjoyed it, Doc. I really really am. I think that's probably going to do it for this episode. Uh, DJM has got some Ace Combat that he needs to get back to. Uh, I've got some Octopath Traveler, so we're going to wrap it up. And if you want to uh, find me on Twitter and talk wrestling, follow me at The Subtle Doctor. I have an anime podcast as well, What Are We Death Show? Uh, you can find that on Twitter. Uh, and you're just looking at my Twitter bio if the spelling eludes you, which would be quite natural. Uh, DJM, where can folks get a hold of you if they want to talk wrestling or other nerderies? Well, I am on Twitter at CallMeDJM, which is what you can call me, at CallMeDJM. Of course, uh, there is the anime podcast of some sort coming soon to a podcatcher near you. Uh, the Record Breakers podcast, the book club for music. It's what else? Sports Odds and Ends at SportsOddsAndEnds.com, the show for the fly-by-night sports fan. And <laughs> right here on Grappalicious. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, and then resubscribe. Bump those numbers up for your boy, the subtle doctor. Get, give, give him a nod. And if you're, if you're giving us a, a nod in iTunes, make sure you give us the old five stars and, and help out the podcast and spread the word. That's right. Spread the good word. Give us the full, the full Kenta Loki treatment, the five stars folks. It's been a, a delight. This episode, DJM, thank you so much for hanging out and talking wrestling new and old. And uh, we'll be back uh, two weeks from now. But until then, folks, peace. Moyete, moyete.